Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. Hello, Dave. Hello, Matt. Hello, Dave. Hello, Jess. I'm Matt. I'm Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us, one and all. Oh, Great to nice. be in. It's so good to be in. Do you know what this is all about, this show? Well, look, I've tried yeah. to explain what I think it is. Yep. But I struggled, and to be honest, so did both of you. No. Thank you. Yes, we delegated and then we had a meeting. Yeah, it wasn't. And said never again. <laughs> then we said, all right, let's give Matt a shot. And he jumped in and we said, oh my oh God. Boy. I thought that there was, you know, rock bottom, but wow, he lifted up the ladder. Yeah, we got into we the, found the ladder underneath the floor. <laughs> uh, got to the end of the molten yeah, core. Yeah, oh my God. Oh, a little rhyme there and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, what I did a few weeks ago is I, you know, semi jokingly said, hey, if there's any, uh, you know, musos out there that listen to the show that want to write a, a little 60s style jingle, like a sitcom theme song, that explains the show for anyone who's never heard it before. And uh, multiple people have sent them in. And I think we have another yeah, entry this week. Yeah, we do have week. another one. Uh, this one comes in from Matthew uh, Abad from Seattle. Uh, I, I, I pause slightly before reading out his surname because he's given me the pronunciation. He knows me well. <laughs> yeah, right. What were you going to say? Matt Abad. Uh, I might have said... I reckon I would have gone close to that, actually. It's a four-letter <laughs> word. Yeah, right. Matt, come on. Give me a chance. <laughs> Did he say how to say Matt? Because that is that, when you know you've really stuffed up. They're telling Mart- you how to say your own name. Martabard. <laughs> Mortarboard. Matt Abad. Oh, fuck. I did fuck it up. Um, Matt Abad. So, hit it. If this is your first time joining us. Three friends. Also comedians. Take turns. 
researching a thing Once more Tries to report While the others listen in and keep interrupting Hence the name Do <laughs> And it always starts with a question Oh, oh That man, is cute shit. That was amazing I loved that. that And honestly that's the most 60s-esque one so yeah, far yeah. For sure that was so good. Thank you so much, Matt Bad <laughs> from Seattle. Uh, so, so hopefully that's cleared up a few things for yeah. people who haven't heard it before. Yes. And uh, like Matt said, the episode does start with a question. I'm doing the report this week. Jess and Dave don't know what the topic is. That was all covered in the jingle. Why am I going back over <laughs> it? Uh, so here's my question for you two. Stuart Smith is seen as an environmental terrorist in New Zealand. What kind of animal did he introduce to their ecosystem? Oh. What have they got that's they don't like? I mean, no one likes a rabbit. That's true. And someone did introduce rabbits over there, but it was not this man. Um, have they got like, they don't, do they have snakes? No, they don't no, have, they they don't have any snakes. Famously that's what don't I thought, have yeah, yeah. I was like, that's, I think that's why I was associating New Zealand with snakes. Because I was yeah. like, I'm pretty sure they don't have them. I only, yeah, I only so just like that snakes. reading this. No. Um, you may guinea be pigs. Closer. It's not guinea pigs. Think more Foxes. wet. Foxes. More wet. Okay. <laughs> uh, stingrays. Not stingrays. Think broader. <laughs> think broader. Uh, broader, but wetter. Even larger stingrays. Fish. Fish. Yes, Jess, it is fish. They had no fish there before. They had fish. Amazing. But hang on. <laughs> Wow, New Zealand before? They had some fish, but before he... <laughs> he arrived, there was there's no snakes, no fish, no hills, it was just flat land, yeah. nothing there. Someone brought in clumps of dirt yeah, and wow. made hills, yeah. Wow. And on the sixth day, he rested. But that is a different story okay. for a different day. Uh, according to the New Zealand, a New Zealand official quoted in an article on stuff.co.nz by Charlie Mitchell, this is one of the, the big articles about it, I'll quote uh, Mitchell a lot. Uh, but in this article, a New Zealand official said, imagine if one guy was responsible for the introduction of rats, possums, rabbits, stoats and pigs to New Zealand. Stuart Smith was pretty much that guy, but he just did it to freshwater ecosystems around the country with fish. What? Right. So he he, just he threw some foxes into a river. Yeah, only they were fish. Oh, okay. That clears that up. <laughs> 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 right, so it's, it's the equivalent. Those, equivalent, that's right. Yeah, destructive. Though I think for some reason this guy, uh, this official, didn't think people could understand just fish, so he put it in land, yeah, animal terms. Yeah. I'm, I am a bit confused. I, but I think people, well, it's certain kinds of fish. Yeah, non-native fish. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I reckon you'll clear it up. Yeah, yeah. With this report. But I'm going to take it back a little bit, uh, talking about Stuart Smith and how uh, he came up, how he grew up, and then how he came to be the fish terrorists of New Zealand. Wow. Um, throughout the second half of the 20th century, New Zealand's waterways were invaded by thousands of introduced species of fish that have changed the environmental makeup of the country. This was the work of just one man, the New Zealand fish terrorist, Stuart Smith. Fish terrorist is one of the lamest band names I've ever heard. It, well, that was that was the name that uh, the people voted for. 60% of patrons voted for it. And I kind of knew it when I, when I put in the New Zealand fish terrorist. I'm like, <laughs> this is going to get votes. Because you're imagining like dynamite or something being put inside a fish. But that's, right. I imagine, not what's... 
happen no, there? No, that's not what happens. Although quite a similar thing happened with a pig at one point. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Uh, Smith was born in the east end of London in 1913. According to the Otago Daily Times, Smith's early life growing up in the east end of London was a happy playground where he had mastered the art of catching tiddlers in the sandhill ponds by the age of five. And this play developed into a lifelong passion. Right, so he's a lifelong tiddler. Yeah, he loved, a, loved catching a tiddler. Do you, know what, do you know what a tiddler is? A tiny, just little fish. Or are you telling me it's something else? No, 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 no. Do you know what a tiddler is? No, I'm saying <laughs> Do you like, even know what yeah, a come on. Name their first five albums. <laughs> yeah, um, come on. Apparently, there were lots of ponds around at that time in, in his neighbourhood as clay was being dug out uh, to make brick houses. So that would leave oh. divots in the ground, which would fill with rainwater, and then these little fish would um, get in there. How would they get in there? And then kids... I guess they came in when they were real little in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids fish would... falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah. You never believe it. There was fish everywhere. <laughs> I said, get the bread, we'll have dinner. <laughs> get the bread. <laughs> so, yes, somehow uh, fish like gudgeon and roach would get in there and a uh, real beautiful. Wow. That was my, uh, my nickname in high school. Gudgeon. gudgeon. <laughs> Your best friend, roach. <laughs> yeah. Saw the back of my year 12 jumper. Gudgeon. <laughs> So he got really good at fishing these little fish uh, at a very young age and he soon figured out he could sell these uh, fish that he caught with his homemade fishing rod and he sold them to adults as live bait. Before long, he saved up an, up, up enough money to buy a bike. Like he was okay. a little kid just making cash. Just hustling. Pennies at a time sort of thing. Uh, clearly a bright kid. Smith won a scholarship by age 11, according to a radio New Zealand story on him. Life sounded pretty good at this stage, and his own diaries back this up. Uh, later in life, he would look back on his London upbringing very fondly. But that was all about to come to an abrupt end. Smith later recalled that after turning 15, his father, quote, quite casually said to him, you're not going back to school. You're going to New Zealand. Just out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, just over toast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, why just are you in your uniform? His brother. Kids, they just sent him off to New Zealand. Just the two mean? Just the two yeah. So according to the Anarchist History of New Zealand website, New Zealand's <laughs> Joseph Coates government worried about population decline at the time. The way this article describes it's like this was the market going, uh, we're about to crash. So people are having less kids because they can't afford them. But Coates comes in and goes, no, we need more kids. So they started... Um, trying to combat this by offering tax, tax cuts to those having kids as well as creating a bachelor tax on unmarried men. So if you were a man who wasn't married, you paid more tax. Oh, wow. Isn't that wild? <laughs> the anarchist site says the message was clear. Take a wife, have more babies, grow this nation's population. Wow, can, this really rolls off the tongue. Feed children you can't afford to feed. <laughs> yeah. They continue, this same logic applied to the idea of growing the New Zealand population by importing young men from Britain. <laughs> That's <laughs> fucking crazy. Buying we don't have enough kids, let's import some kids. Isn't that wild? That's yeah. crazy. So uh, they needed farm workers and thousands of boys from poorer families in Britain were shipped down, including Smith and his brother. Their father, a gambler who had money troubles, probably saw it as a win-win. The boys would head off to New Zealand and get a job and he'd have two less mouths to feed. Um, once arriving and getting to work, he found, this is Smith, he found he wasn't a big fan of farming and spent all his free time on a local fishing boat pulling up snapper. He later recalled, I thought to myself, this is the life. 
Why would anyone want to farm when there's an ocean full of fish just waiting to be pulled up? <laughs> he's, he's just yeah. obsessed with fishing. Look at this. I don't know why. No, why are you bothering with that know? land? You can come out here on water. Yeah. There's fish in there. There's fish in there. Can you believe it? Even more than the little tiddlers. Yeah, look at the size of the tiddlers they got here. They got big tiddlers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? <laughs> this bit's brutal. According to the Otago Times, farming did not work out for Smith. He quit after having to just having to destroy his dog with a fence batten. The poor beast had bitten Smith after being caught in a trap. And he could see no alternative. Oh. He had to kill his own dog. Oh, oh my oh, God. So rough. Uh, he then tried moving into fishing full time. Around this time, he got to know a man named Jack Alec, the head of the local harbour board. Jack became a mentor for Smith, imparting both his fishing knowledge and political views. And before long, he'd converted Smith to communism. <laughs> It's a twist you probably didn't see yeah, coming. Yeah, didn't. There you go. It was not how I expected that sentence to end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For context, as Radio New Zealand put it, where in the 1930s, communists had swept to power in Russia, overthrowing what was widely seen as an autocratic and brutal regime, the rest of the world had yet to see the darker side of Soviet-style communism. For many people, communism looked like a way of the future, particularly when they saw how badly ordinary people were suffering in capitalist states during the Great Depression. Smith was amongst those who were swept up by the dreams of a communist utopia. He later became a member of the New Zealand Communist Party. So this kind of like this way of thinking about things kind of affected how he uh, dealt with the fish and releasing fish in the future, and it probably led to him wanting to do it in a lot of ways. Right. So he became a communist fisher. Yes, he released those fish for the commie good. Wow. Uh, red fish under the bed. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon there's something there. Um, you think of it though. <laughs> Don't set us homework mid-report. <laughs> while waiting for the utopia to arrive, he continued battling away trying to make a living in the fishing industry. Around this time, he was about to head out on a fishing job using explosives. But according to Radio New Zealand, a piglet got into his shed and uh -oh. ate his detonators. He was so angry that he kicked the pig, which then exploded. No, the pig exploded. <laughs> Oh my god! That's one of the wackiest things I've ever heard. It feels like it's from like a like a teen gross-out film sort of thing. Yeah, he got mad, so he kicked a pig, which exploded. Which exploded. When World War Two broke out in 1939, <laughs> no more information. No more information. I couldn't. I felt Move like on. I couldn't leave it out. No, you Once have to I put heard that in. I'm like, I have to put oh, that in. Yeah. Sure. So World War II broke out in 1939 and Smith was called up for service. He wanted to volunteer for the Navy but was instead enlisted in the Army. He didn't like this at all. Because oh, away from the fish. And the sea. I know, that's what I thought at first. I'm like, obviously he wants to be on the sea where yeah. the fish are. Yeah. But it turns out um, that it was more of a, a fear of a conspiracy. Uh, he'd been told by a communist friend that in the New Zealand Army, his fellow troops would take him and other communist members out on a mission somewhere and execute them. Right, he fully believed that. That was something that around the New Zealand communist circles, they believed if you go, if you join the army, you won't come back. But the navy, they won't do that. Yeah, apparently not in the navy. So I'm not sure why that would be. Um, so this seems to be a conspiracy theory without merit. But he fully believed it, and refusing to join the army meant he was prosecuted and sent to a detention camp as a conscientious objector. During the war, Smith's camp began running very low on food. And uh, <laughs> people tell him the story with like, 
in a war effort, the people who didn't want to fight, they were like a low priority for food. The soldiers and others were getting the food, so they were they were doing it pretty tough at the camp. Nearby was a river that was apparently one of the best trout fishing rivers in the world. Having found out Smith was a fisherman, the higher-ups at the camp got him to start fishing to help supplement their food supply. And before long, Smith had trained up a team of other prisoners to work with him to catch, prepare, and smoke 30 to 40 trout a day. Whoa! <laughs> Teach a team of men to fish. <laughs> uh, but the fishing they were doing was illegal, and it wasn't long before news got down to the bloody bigwigs down on Capitol Hill down in Wellington. <sighs> so soon after, they started getting shipments of Smith smoked trout to Parliament House. <laughs> So they didn't do Bribing anything about them with it. fish. Yeah, they're like, oh, send some of it. <laughs> I'll take some of that hey, fish. Hey, you guys fishing? Can I have some? Go on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I have some? Can I have some? <laughs> uh, Smith found it all very humorous that he was a prisoner being asked to break the law by those keeping him a prisoner. He found it a bit ironic, and the whole situation probably further underlined the corrupt nature of the capitalist system in his mind. Right. He's like, that's it, these capos, <laughs> the idea breaking rules. This is a very funny situation. I mean, just laughing himself to sleep at night in his <laughs> prison that's so cell. Funny. That's, he apparently found it hilarious. This is like, hilarious. This... Every time he casts off, this is hilarious. <laughs> Can't believe it. I haven't seen my family in years. This what is so, so, so funny because of these corrupt capitalists. Very, very funny. What are they like? Uh, when the war ended, Smith was released. Oh, again, he got a, funny. He got a piece of land at, in Massey, a suburb in the northeast of Auckland, where he built a service station or a gas station. Yeah. Yep, petrol we, station. Petrol station. Hmm. Servo. Servo. Convenience yeah. store. Convenience slash store slash. Petroleum, petroleum supplier. The Bowser. Yeah, the Bowser. <laughs> According to his biographer, Brian Winters, I'll mention uh, him later, but he ends up having a book written about him. Uh, he worked hard building up the business over the following 16 years before Caltex came in and invested. don't know if they bought some of the land or they bought some of the business, but anyway, it meant that Smith now had money flowing in regularly. Um, so it just he nailed this investment of setting up this business because it set him up financially for life. This also opened up more free time for Smith, so he was able to direct more attention back to his passion, fishing. Oh, oh I thought it was does, running the Bowser. He does love the sea. Yes. But it wasn't the trout fishing that he loved, even though he was made to do it in the in the prison camp. He saw that as a style of fishing for the rich. Oh, he prefers finding a puddle, dropping in a homemade hook, yep. and then getting a three-inch long fisher, selling it for a no. penny. A hundred percent that, no, yes. No, he likes his little oh, tiddlers. Yeah. He, loved, he loved tiddler fishing. Uh, or... More accurately, what is known as coarse fishing. This is the style of fishing he grew up with. It's a term I hadn't heard before. Have you heard coarse fishing? C-O-A-R-S-E. Coarse. According to dictionary.com, coarse fish are a freshwater fish that is not a member of the salmon family. These toff fishes. Salmon and trout and those big... So he likes the working class fish. Yep, that's a hundred percent. That's what this is about. Game fishing, on the other on the other hand, is fishing for salmon and trout and these kind of fish. Uh, Wikipedia calls coarse fishing angling for freshwater fish, which are traditionally considered undesirable as a food or game fish. Oh, okay. So it's just to catch them. They're not for eating, but that's the kind of fishing okay. he wanted to do. And and a big part of it seems like it was because this was the working class fishing. Um, 
there is, or at least used to be, this class divide between the two styles of fishing. It seems like there maybe there still is a little bit. Uh, the upper classes of Britain would be into game fishing. Coarse fishing was for the working class. Coarse fishers will catch all sorts of fish. Rudd, roach, gudgeon, perch. <laughs> all beautiful names. Mm, beautiful. Uh, the problem was, for the most part, these kinds of fish didn't exist in the land of the long white cloud, New Zealand. So oh, Smith no. went about changing this. No, he didn't. Why? This wasn't the first time someone had introduced fish to New Zealand. According to Mitchell, New Zealand has several dozen native freshwater fish, most of which are nocturnal, discreet, and tucked away in streams far from civilization. Few of them grow larger than 10 centimetres. They don't make for great angling. Recognising this, early European settlers decided to bring their favourite sports fish with them, trout. Trout flourished in New Zealand's cooler waters with limited competition from the native species. The trout fishery is now so prosperous it attracts anglers from around the world. It's become like a big tourist uh, industry for New Zealand. But they, this was all seemingly done legally. Uh, and according to the New Zealand government website, from the late 1800s, European settlers brought trout and salmon to New Zealand's lakes and rivers so they could fish them for sport. The most common species today are brown trout, rainbow trout and Chinook salmon. All done legally, I think. Um, and Smith saw this as a, a double standard. Introduced species of fish were okay as long as they were for rich people to fish. <laughs> so on the one hand, it could be argued Smith's actions were ideological. On the other, perhaps he was just trying to recapture his childhood. Either way, his actions over the coming years would irreparably change New Zealand's waterways. Uh, according to Mitchell's article on stuff, much like New Zealand's native land birds, its freshwater fish had evolved in an environment with few natural predators. New species can shake up an ecosystem that evolved in a delicate equilibrium, and in New Zealand, the result has been chaotic. It's interesting that apparently when the Europeans came to New Zealand, they were basically like, there's no fish here, pretty much. We need to fix this by giving them our great fish. And that was, and that's still not really seen as particularly controversial. But what he has done yeah. with these other kinds of fish mm. is so it's 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 not as black and white as maybe it first seemed to me. Even though it's pretty clear what he did was very wrong, <laughs> but it's just weird that it's uh, the salmon and the trout uh, yeah. aren't seen in the same way. And and no one ever thought to do that with poisonous snakes. No, and it's never happened. Yeah, I can't believe you don't have red-bellied blacks out here. Well, Come on, I'll sort that out. At <laughs> least yeah. a couple of hundred into the bush. And it's often um, uh, done because it's one animal's released, and they're like, "Oh, these got out of hand. We got to release another yeah, one." Yeah, yeah, it just spirals out of control. That's what ta- cane toads were meant to yeah. get the cane beetles in Australia, and that happened in, with different things over there. Apparently, they released ferrets to try or stoats which i've never even heard of to mm. combat the rabbits but then they got out of hand and they were eating all the native birds so <laughs> yeah it's um <laughs> it all it all reminds me of homer getting stuck in quicksand you know he's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. all right i'm stuck my legs are stuck i'll get them out with my hands <laughs> and i'll get my hands out with my face <laughs> at first uh smith went about it by with a letter writing campaign he was trying to convince people rather than do it sort of really? under the cover of darkness and who is he writing letters to uh to newspapers to be published Being like, and they're hoping that he'll they'll write the headlines like gudgeons needed or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> this uh uh one i'll read out now um was from pretty early on he wrote if children are to become interested in wildlife angling is part of their education 
If the pond is made large enough with a sheltered area in the centre, it could be stocked with rod and tench to provide angling for the children. The right for children to fish is a part of basic human history. But there are those here who would like to make it otherwise. Over my dead body. <laughs> I have never fished. Well, not once. He in would my find that really sad. Entire life. Neither have I. Oh, actually, that's a complete lie. I have fished virtually on a couple of games on my Nintendo Switch. Oh, well done. Did you catch anything? Yeah. Pretty what do you have? Gudgeon? A couple of tiddlers? Yeah, a couple of tiddlers. None of, the, none of the rich people stuff. Yeah. Yuck. So over my dead body, I mean, you are coming across a little strong there, mate. Yeah. That started out like, hey, it's for the kids. Yeah, yeah. Let's it's help fun. them out. It's a bit of fun. And then as you written this in like cut out letters from other newspapers, yeah. <laughs> like he's threatening them. But he, he would sign off with his own name throughout the whole time. He'd own up to it. <laughs> over my dead body, with love, <laughs> Stuart Smith. <laughs> According to Marshall, though, attempts to bring in coarse fish were rebuffed largely because they would compete with trout. So that just pissed him off even more. Because <laughs> he hates trout. He hates trout. Even Fuck though, you, trout. But, I mean, there is that double standard there, but trout does have the use of being edible, right? Yeah, edible yeah. does feel like a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> a bonus. Uh, yeah, can just picture him with a dartboard with a picture of a trout on it. <laughs> Fuck you, trout. Fuck you, trout. First, you took my wife. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, goes back, and it turns out <laughs> his wife left him for some trout. She yeah. married a trout. She married a trout, but they're very happy. Oh, so happy. They're the weirdos in their town, but isn't that the thing though? Happy. Surely he can just surely with hindsight he can just be happy for her and the trout. And the trout. No. But no. he still says, "Fuck you, trout." Yeah, got an absolute vendetta. It's sad. It is sad. It's time to move on. Gotta move on. Live your life. Don't become a fish terrorist. Don't become a fish terrorist. <laughs> Mate, this is not That's the way to idea. get over it. One st- bad fish. That's all it is, you know? Uh, He's going to start writing letters. Fish. I didn't want to be a fish terrorist. You made me do this. <laughs> uh, so by this stage, we're in the 1960s and Smith is into his 40s. As Radio New Zealand said, he never married. Well, wow. we know why. Yeah. Fiance left him yeah, for a fish. At the altar for a fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he never married, didn't have any kids. What he did have was time, money, and an almost fanatical level of devotion to his cause that he dedicated the entire second half of his life to a one-man mission, introducing coarse fishing to New Zealand. He probably found it pretty easy to import the fish in the early days. In the 60s, you could pretty much import any fish as long as it was for your home aquarium. You just had to be like, yeah, yeah, these weird fish that don't exist here, I'm just yeah. bringing them in for the But I'm going to need 40,000 yeah. <laughs> 40,000 titlers. Uh, my tank, uh, 40 litres. So, so, should yeah. be nice and... Uh, so squeeze them in like that. That's 1,000 per litre. I'd be fine. I'll be right. 40,000 titlers, please. <laughs> Smith's home aquarium was massive. His setup was on an industrial level. He also outfitted his Ford Zephyr car with oxygenated fish tanks, basically making it a mobile aquarium. That sounds like an episode of Pimp My Ride. Yeah. Where they come in, they're like, I'm going to install 18 fish tanks in your car. <laughs> that show is so dumb. So ridiculous. So what we've done is we've taken out the back seat and we've put in a couch. Yeah, what do you so think? you guys can just yeah. hang out. You can hang out, but you, I mean, you can't legally drive it. No, absolutely <laughs> not. We've put in um, 18 TVs. There's 18 TVs. Uh, have you looked at the engine at all? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Not no. at all. We actually took that out to make room for this fish tank. Yeah, check it out. And in the boot, you got a barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, right. You officially been pimped. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so the idea to get all these fish tanks, oxygenated fish tanks in his car meant 
that he could drive around the country offloading fish in different places. Oh my god! And they can stay, they'll stay alive for days while he drives around. Um, <laughs> according to Marshall, he would liberate the fish wherever he could, with or without the permission of landowners. He would recruit accomplices, sometimes adults, often children, in raids on farms, dams, and public waterways. He started with one of the most damaging coarse fish, perch. Perch were already in New Zealand, having been brought from Tasmania in the 1860s and were predominantly found in Canterbury and Otago. They were not widespread for good reason. Perch are carnivorous and have a ravenous appetite. Not only do they eat other fish, but in certain circumstances they eat each other. They just love eating fish. Right. (laughs) I don't know why that was funny. (laughs) They'll eat each other. That's funny. Smith likely started with perch because he had an easy access to them. In 1905, a population had been legally introduced to Lake Rotoroa in Hamilton City and had survived. Smith, with the help of two local boys, took perch from the lake and spread them around Auckland. So there's a couple of little um, uh, colonies of fish. It's probably not the word, is it? Schools. Schools. Schools, few little, and But basically they didn't exist in New Zealand. But he used this little one to get a start. So he went, fished a few out, enough to make a, a new school and chuck them in another spot. And then they, they apparently they breed real good. And do you think, did he have any concerns that these fish could get out of control, their carnivorous? Did he have any inkling that it could be a problem for the ecosystem? I don't, not really. He thought he was doing God's work. Yeah, fantastic. Yep. By just getting more fish. Yeah. For the kids to catch. Oh, they're, they're going to get out of control. Yeah. Even better fishing then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. More kids Great. need to get like, out and go fishing. Oh, yeah. you've got a problem with me building new schools. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cat okay. <those>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Smith took extensive notes about his exploits and these showed that he released hundreds of perch into the lakes of Auckland in the 1960s. According to Marshall, in 1965, Smith broadened his uh, liberations to include tench, he started with four, which was enough to establish a breeding stock at what he called his office pond behind his garage. So he'd, he'd get them in, get eggs sometimes, and he'd, he'd breed them up and then release them. Uh, as his operation ramped up, Smith started breeding koi carp, gambusia, and golden orf. Um, uh, there's uh, so many words I'm going to say wrong today. There's just four in a row. Right. Awesome. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm saying Otago wrong. And I, I, I look forward to the tweets. Um, but it was another fish that became Smith's signature, rudd. Rudd are a stocky freshwater fish with coarse skin and ruby red fins. They are prolific breeders, releasing thousands of eggs at a time. I guess the red, maybe that's why I liked them, the, com- the commie connection. Yeah. They primarily eat aquatic plants, preferring natives over exotics, meaning they share a diet with native freshwater species. For that reason, rudd are sometimes called the possums of the waterways. <laughs> That's good. That That's catchy. really good. I forget that because the possums are native here, so uh, it's kind of cool to see them around. But in New Zealand, they're like the most hated pest. I guess they were introduced uh, from over here. If you talk to my dad, they're the most hated pest. Oh, here. Big yeah, time. Then. Big time. <laughs> you know who I think is the biggest pest in Australia? Humans. Oh, all right. Here we go. They do the most damage. <laughs> Sorry to get political about that, but yeah. it needed to be said. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you. I'm, I'm offended, actually. So, <laughs> as a human, as yeah, on behalf of all humans. 
there had been no rudd in the southern hemisphere until Smith liberated them into a pond at Wanui School, north of Auckland, in 1969. Not in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, near Auckland, there's a lake called Lake Rototoa. Marshall continues, It is the largest, deepest lake in Auckland, and for a while the only one dominated by native fish. Among its population were dwarf Inanaga and June Lake uh, June Lake Galaxias, both of which are highly rare and on the brink of extinction. Then Smith started his liberations. In 1970, his notes show he liberated more than 100 rudd into Rototoa. They prospered, so much so that 30 years later, Smith returned with Perch in an effort to control the rudd he'd unleashed. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's like, there, there's too many now, so he's like, all right, before this gets out of hand, I'll just put in some more fish. The Perch are the ones that the, love eating eat, fish. Yeah. But also get right out of control. <laughs> yeah, it was the kind of thing you just didn't know that that's you're just releasing a different problem. Yeah, you're not actually solving much there. Uh, Marshall goes on. It proved to be a near fatal blow for the lake. Rudd, which feed on native macrophytes, reduced the lake's water quality. Then the perch started dominating the native species. Between 2003 and 2011, monitoring showed dwarf in an in anger, numbers had dropped by more than 99%. So, Whoa. And the species is now functionally extinct in the lake. Uh, Kura numbers had dropped by 90% and common bullies by 80%. So they're all native fish that have just been basically wiped out from the fish that he introduced. Holy shit. It feels like he's obviously got a gift with fish for yeah. like raising them. Why wouldn't he turn to these fish that were not like, you know, uh, capo fish. Yeah, They're right. just native fish there that are already struggling. Why is he, why is he use his talent to foster that? It's interesting, isn't it? You kind of wish that someone from the government or from one of the departments that looks after this took him in. And someone even was quoted as saying that. He, like, they never used him like they should. He's a guy you want inside the tent pissing out, not outside the yeah. tent pissing in. And he was outside the tent pissing in. Yeah, pissing on every single tent. But because he did this, I mean, it was, it's got to be nostalgia, him bringing the fish from his childhood. Yeah. And an imperialist kind of thing as well. I'm bringing over proper English fish to this little colony that I've oh, come to, no. I guess. I mean, yeah. I'm putting words into his mouth, but maybe that's what kind of what it feels like potentially. Um, yeah, so the native fish numbers are dropping, and this is a very common story. When exotic animals are introduced, they often dominate as the native animals have evolved in a very specific ecosystem without competition all of a sudden. So they haven't built up the natural defense systems, so they're very vulnerable um, to being wiped out like they have here. Competition between native species is very balanced in an ecosystem, says Dr. Cindy Baker, a freshwater fish scientist at New Zealand's National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research. What a badass uh, place yeah. to work. You'd be like, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty important. I'd feel so proud going to work. Not like here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you hang your head in shame as you walk through that door. No, uh, I need to talk about a fish terrorist. Oh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> Introduced fish have a significant effect on New Zealand's freshwater biodiversity, Baker says, particularly in lakes from which they are hard to remove. Um, I found that interesting because I, I would have thought lakes would have been easier because it's just one spot. Yeah. Whereas in a yeah. river, you're like, the, you know, you're chasing them up and down. And it hundreds goes, of kilometers, yeah. yeah. Uh, Smith was very proud of what he was doing, even writing letters to newspapers bragging about it, like I mentioned before. One time he wrote, I was delighted to read your article about the Waihau River becoming an angler's paradise. 
as no one seems to know why this happened. May I suggest the fact that in 1973 I liberated well over 2,000 rudd in that stretch of river? <laughs> maybe that could have been it. Um, maybe. It was already hard to root for him. Now I fucking hate him. <laughs> you just, it's like oh, he, he delighted can't... people are enjoying fishing. <laughs> maybe if you'd listened a few years ago. Hey? Well, guess what? I invented fishing. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome, world. You're welcome. It's funny because he, 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 he kind of, for the most part, he just seems like he's gone about doing it and he's um, doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. But also, everyone, want a little pat on the back here. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Would be good. I mean, also, I've had to introduce another species to the lake because my uh, original fish have gotten crazily out of control. Um, but that, still. I'm a hero. Pretty good. That second uh, one is also uh, now out of control yeah, and has right. uh, wiped out. Yeah, less delighted about that, to be honest. Um, but but good fishing. Good fishing. Good fishing spot. Yeah. Although the fish have uh, made the water quality a lot lower and it's yeah. probably leading to maybe all fish struggling. Eh, but, but. But. Delighted. Uh, he also kept extensive notes in his diary. He's his diaries detailed some of the ways he was able to smuggle the fish into the countries once authorities started clamping down oh, on the importation. I really have it up his shirt or something. Uh, one of the ways he got through customs... He dressed up as a pregnant lady. <laughs> Fake belly. It's fish. Full of fish. It's fish. Dressed up the as a giant fish. Little, little eggs. I'm like, hmm, guess that's normal. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a seems pregnancy right. expert. It so. seems that like you're having between uh, 24 and 36... Uh, <laughs> Children in there. Thank ah, you. Yes. Yeah, that'll be right. Yeah, I'm a medical miracle. Yeah, yes. thank you. Little heartbeats. You can see that. Yes, yeah, and we, I am delighted, and so is my partner. So one of the common ways he would uh, go about it would be to walk through customs with egg, uh, fish eggs in his pockets. Okay, it's pretty clever. <laughs> Another... So he didn't even pretend to be a pregnant woman. No, he didn't. Oh, it is oh, the creativity. My, my pockets are pregnant. In Just a way. fish eggs in his pocket. Fish eggs in his pocket. And uh, he had a mate send him in the mail as well. Okay. In the following two decades, Smith went on to release more than 10,000 rod, 2,300 tench, 1,000 perch, and hundreds of koi, goldfish, and orphi. And that, so that's what he released. He's growing that in his home tanks and then releasing 10,000. That 10,000, you know, yeah, that's exponentially multiplies. Uh, Marshall went on to say, although he typically avoided major waterways, likely because it increased the odds he would be seen, he still managed to populate them with fish. One strategy was to liberate fish into a nearby drain or stream, which, upon the next flood, would sweep fish into the river. So, I mean, it's a lot. Of, like you say, he's real clever. He's, yeah, he, he's he fully understands smart. how it all works. Just get him inside pissing out. I mean, he's pissing either way. I've we know he's pissing. I've got to be honest, I don't understand the analogy, but <laughs> you both were like, yeah. Yeah, you so got, I, I mean, mm-hmm. Jesse, you got to take a piss. you got to take a piss. And this guy's got a, it's got a tiny bladder. Yeah. It's got a little tiddler of yeah, a bladder. Yeah, this guy p- pisses at fish. Yeah. Oh. So do you want that fish coming out of the tent or going into the tent? Uh, why is there a tent? Out of the tent. Out of the tent Come on, is just what you want. Well, Lock it de- in. <laughs> the department uh, works out of a tent. Okay. Fish department. That's a bit odd. Despite not wanting to be caught, Smith continued to brag about his exploits. So in one way, he'll be like, I'm not going to do it too publicly and be caught, but I will then write a letter saying what I did. Yeah, dear national newspaper. (laughs) Uh, He was even profiled in New Zealand newspapers a couple of times with his photo 
Um, His address. Rudd going well, sort of. <laughs> oh, my t- God. Uh, and still people are like, where are all these fish coming from? <laughs> Around this time, authorities started, started noticing Rudd in their waterways, a species never before seen in New Zealand. Due to Smith's openness, they had a pretty good idea <laughs> of who was responsible. Okay. Well, that's promising. According to Marshall, not long afterwards, in 1974, Smith was prosecuted for the first time. His fish were destroyed, his tanks were poisoned, and his car was confiscated in his marine car. Oh, no. A setback which stopped his liberations for four years. And Uh, so his tanks were poisoned, did you say? Yeah, so they filled them with chlorine or lime juice or something. That would have been hard for him. Yeah, that would have been real rough. And or even worse for the fish. Yeah, awful for the yeah, sorry. So they got the fish as well. And the car. I mean How's it get from A to B now? Yeah. Exactly. He's uh, gonna get a, a bus. Uh, Think about how many fish he can get in a bus. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Smart. Yeah. Now he's okay. yeah, he exhibit to pimp a bus. <laughs> so right just after this happened, yeah, he wrote in his diary, Fashion is long way from dead. Fascism. <laughs> Fashion? Fashion. Oh, they said fashion. Fashion is a long way from dead. <laughs> Check out these kicks. All right. They've I, got I, little fish in yeah, them. Like Disco <laughs> stew style. Yeah, yeah. It's a goldfish in there. The fish well, is dead. Let me I can't work out how to get him out. <laughs> I think there's uh, seven words in that sentence, and I, I missed one, and I read one of them wrong. So I'll say uh, it again. Have but a go. Fascism is a long way from dead. Okay. Wow. These people stopping me from bringing in killer fish. Yeah. Fascists. Come on. Despite the setback, he also had a bit of a win around the same time. In 1975, Rudd was declared acclimatised in Auckland and Waikato, uh, according to Marshall, essentially recognising that it was here to stay. To this day, Auckland and Waikato is the only region where Rudd is established to the extent it is not considered noxious, a feat entirely due to Smith. So they're basically almost like the new natives, you know, they're just here now. Wow. Yeah. Like uh, us and camels. Yeah. You yep. know? Brumbies. We've got heaps of them. Brumbies. Yeah. Isn't it like Australia's got the most camels anywhere, in the, wild camels anywhere in the world or something weird like that? Yeah. We've got a lot. I've, I don't think I've ever seen one. Have I seen a camel? Hmm. Never seen a camel. Never seen a camel. <laughs> Come I don't know. Grow I? up. Surely. Surely, right? Surely. I take that back. Do you know what a camel is? Yeah. It's a type of bag. Yeah. Yeah. And we have more than anyone else in the <laughs> wild. <laughs> During Smith's four-year break from releasing fish, he realised that some of those he'd previously, re- previously released were spreading too quickly. And this is when, again... He would release more perch. Right. Awesome. Problem solved. Keep them under control. According to Marshall, it was at this point he started falling foul of his new uh, of his few allies. Not only had he returned to spreading perch, he was also releasing koi carp, a bottom feeder notorious for damaging waterways. He was talking about importing gudgeon and even flirted with bringing in pike, a ferocious carnivore likely to dominate any freshwater body it could find. As the decades passed, Smith was getting on in years. That's sort of, I guess that, that's what happens. And driving around the country releasing fish was a young man's game. He turned his attention to one last big fish dump. This time, <laughs> gudgeon, a species never seen before in New Zealand. It's not known how he smuggled the gudgeon into the country, but it is known that he bred a population of about 600 inside his tanks on his property. But according to Marshall, that was only the start of his plan. 
Smith had talked about this plan for a long time. He first mentioned it offhandedly in 1972 in a news article in the Auckland Star. But he just he's telling the journalists for their stories about it. He he must be one of the only terrorists to do that. Yeah. Beforehand, he's like the Babe Ruth of terrorism. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then again in 1988, another news article he mentioned it again, 16 years after the first time. But it wasn't clear how serious he was. In the twilight of his life, he had wanted to breed enough gudgeon, approximately 10,000, to fill a whole lake. It would have been horrific, one of the former officials who had knowledge of Smith's plan said. Luckily for New Zealand's waterways, the plan was foiled with a raid on his property finding the gudgeon. Thank, I was going to say, because he's had his tanks destroyed or whatever, taken away from him, and then he's obviously just built them he's back, built up it all again. back up. Are yeah. they not just keeping an eye on yeah. this guy as he writes letters saying, <laughs> yeah, those uh, bloody capitalists have come in and taken my tanks. Don't worry, I've got more tanks. If they came <laughs> around now, they'd, found, they'd find 50 of them. Oh, hang on, I've said too much. But oh, don't. Well. But if you're reading, this is not to be read by those capos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the raid um, found the gudgeon. According to Marshall, the day after the raid, gudgeon was declared a pest species, allowing them to be destroyed. Smith's tanks were again cleansed, leaving him with nothing. The resulting investigation couldn't find enough evidence that Smith had imported the fish, so he was not prosecuted. A biosecurity report into Gudgeon later said they were considered likely to become widespread throughout New Zealand in, a low, in all lowland freshwater systems and were ranked as having potentially high impacts on both native and introduced fish species that inhabit these environments. It's funny, the introduced fish species would be salmon and trout. They're like, we don't want it to have a... No, whoa, 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 whoa. Tourism is pretty big yeah, in that and also, sort of area, so... We're still standing, being sent to Capitol Hill. We love the taste of it. <laughs> yeah. Smith did tell people he'd already released gudgeon in multiple waterways, but a search found no sign of the fish, and it is still unclear all these years later whether or not it it happened. He he became like a serial killer being like, oh, you think that's all I killed? Yeah. 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 There's heaps out there. Go have a look in the forest. Crazy. Yeah. He took extensive notes, like I was mentioning in his diary, up until 1988 after one of these big raids. He's like, well... I'm not going to be leaving so much evidence anymore. <laughs> and finally, sort of, uh, a journalist asked him apparently after that, that raid, um, are you going to keep doing this? And he's like, well, I really don't want to be getting caught doing this. <laughs> like it, was, uh, it was winking. Yeah, long answer. Uh, short answer. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, check my tank. Check my, check my car. Look at that. Look at my backup tank. Yeah. <laughs> backup tank. <laughs> In the shed behind my house, <laughs> he was he was fined uh, five grand, and there was twenty two thousand dollars in fees he had to pay as well. The fish were destroyed, car and equipment all confiscated. He lost a couple of cars on different raids. Despite stopping with his note taking, it is widely believed that he continued releasing introduced fish into the waterways. He just decided to no longer leave detailed accounts. <laughs> Uh, from Marshall again, according to his own records, Smith was personally responsible for for liberating more than 15,000 fish between 64 and 87 in hundreds of distinct locations. The vast majority were in the upper North Island between Rotorua and Kerikeri, but extend as far south as Christchurch. Apparently, people would get in contact with him and be like, hey, do you mind bringing some fish to my farm, Lake? And he'd be like, yeah. He'd just go around <laughs> dropping them off uh, and driving around giving people fish. What a life. In 2005, <laughs> a boy walked past the garage and noticed a weird yabby-like creature in the gutter. 
He took it home to his dad. What I, I was trying to think of a, a word to describe it as. I said yabby, but I don't know if how widespread that. What would um, you? Are they crustaceans? Little yeah. little sort of lobstery things. Yeah, crayfishy. Crayfishy. Yeah, little. yabbies. Uh, he took it home to his dad, and his dad called the authorities. Uh, it turned out to be a West Australian smooth <laughs> marin, another species not found in New Zealand. And without, he has no nostalgic connection to them, I'm pretty sure. Right. I thought that the dad had called the cops on his son being like, you took that from someone else. That's, Give that's it stealing. back. Give it back. That's stealing. Arrest oh, my son. Lock him up. Lock him. <laughs> the only way he'll learn is if he does 10 to 15 year stretch. <laughs> Honestly, release it into the waterways yourself, young man. Yeah. And maybe then we'll forgive you. Um, oh, but he, but so Smith, he, this yabby like creature, what is it called again? It's called uh, a West Australian smooth marin. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they just like, they kind of look like a big yabby kind of thing. And it uh, turned out Smith was still up to his old tricks at 92 years of age. Oh, no. my God. The resulting raid found Smith was preparing to go again. And apparently it was a 5 a.m. raid. He's out with his Zimmer frame. He's got new hips and stuff. Oh, right. And they got the SWAT team in there. Yeah. Go, go, go. The 30-man team. Uh, 30-person team. And, um, yeah, amazing that he's he was still doing it at 92. Uh, a biosecurity report prepared in the following months found Marin had the ability to become widespread throughout New Zealand, invade many habitats, affect ecosystems and all levels of the food chain. It was it was a bomb ready to go off, another one that would have just gone Far wild. Out. What an idiot. Yeah. But all good things must come to an end and three years later, Smith passed away. 95. 95. Very, very good innings. Great innings. 80 years in New Zealand after 15 in, wow. in England. According to Marshall, following Smith's death in 2008, Authorities returned to his lair to destroy whatever he had left in his tanks. <laughs> Lair's a bit strong, I li- isn't it? I, like, I love I, Lair. I like Marshall's work there. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> they expected to find more gudgeon, but didn't. Just a few schools of Rudd. Jeez, he loved Rudd. Rudd was his signature. Oh, yeah. Nevertheless, the tanks were drenched with a lime solution to destroy any trace of life, and a sucker truck dealt with the contaminated water, ending <laughs> the com- uh, complicated legacy of Stuart Smith. What's a sucker truck? Sucker truck? I assume it's what it sounds like. Truck that sucks. Amazing. Oh, your truck sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you call that a truck? Call that a van. Uh, Smith, Smith, Smith left behind a bunch of cash. He was still very wealthy all the way through because wow. of that land deal. Uh, and in his will, he asked for a book to be written about his life, even giving the book a title. Of course. That Pommy Bastard. <laughs> and that's what the book ended up being called. Oh, so, I mean, I don't like it. So this, the money that he left in the will went to an author to write yeah, something. Yeah, And that writer was Brian Winters. So that, that book's out there, available. And apparently it's, it's a great read. I couldn't track it down, even to buy but it's it's out there and it got a lot of attention when it came out a few years ago. Um, to write the book, he went through the extensive notes uh, Smith himself left behind as well as interviewing friends and foes of Smith. So he <laughs> got both sides. It was a, supposedly it's quite an impartial story, but you can tell that Winters kind of feels for him a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, Winters would later say of Smith, he enjoyed fishing and genuinely felt that spreading these fish around was going to benefit people. I don't think he approached it like some evil ogre thinking, I'm going to do harm to New Zealand by doing this. Summing up, Marshall wrote, In his writing, Smith often talked about the joy of fishing, particularly for children. 
He believed New Zealand was deficient in this sense, apart from eels, which he believed were too scary and snake-like for kids. <laughs> there was no way for a child to grow up fishing in the way that he did. It's, isn't that the idea of, I, this is how I grew up, this is how I did it, so this is the right way. And I really loved it. Like yeah. there were definitely kids who hated or just found it boring. Yeah, people who take their life experience and extrapolate it to be like, this is a universal what yeah. I went through. It's it's obviously some sort of, it's something that we have in us, but it's something that's worth realising. Yeah. It's like, this is not necessarily the case. <laughs> you like fishing and that's cool, that's man. That's great, man. Good on, good on I like you. I skateboarding. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I'm releasing like. <laughs> a thousand skateboards into the wild. Uh, curiously, Smith himself was not a regular angler, angler in later years, even though an entire coarse fishing co- subculture had emerged in his wake. So it's out there now that coarse fishing has become a thing in New Zealand. So he was the, successful. He was in that way. Yeah. Uh, he came to some of our meetings. He was very well read and didn't suffer fools gladly, said John. Josseville, a founding member of the West Auckland Course Fishing Club, which began in the early 1980s. He didn't do a lot of fishing himself for enjoyment or pleasure, um, but he's, he loved it and he would come to the meetings and that sort of stuff. And he's still advancing his cause from beyond the grave. Every couple of years, several course fishing clubs receive a 5000 donation from the S. Smith Trust. Um, and last year, the West Auckland Club received $10,000. It pays for trophies and catering and stationery and other things that keep the club going. Wow. Does the trophy just say, you're welcome? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having fun fishing? Yeah. I did that. I made that happen. I made that happen. So, so to me, it was, uh, I, yeah, I knew nothing of that. I I've found never it to be a, heard any about that. No. Because you, you, nearly always it feels like it's a mistake when a species introduced and gets out of hand, like I was saying before, the cane toad to fix the cane beetle or someone releases a few rabbits to hunt and they go, um, they spread real quick. Famously now, bunnies do that. But back then apparently they didn't know that. Uh, Yeah, so it's funny to hear of a guy who's just slowly done it meticulously over decades. Yeah. Yeah, really. Tens of thousands. Interesting. Yeah, and it sounds like he caused a hell of a lot of damage. Yeah, and it'll wow. it just will never be the same again. Just because of one person. Amazing. That is that is insane. Mm. I don't know how I feel about him. I don't know. Yeah, I'm the same. I just, I'm not sure because he. Yeah, I don't know. You saw he, like he saw himself as the underdog mm. fighting for the people. But if, it sounds like he had no remorse even for when he started seeing things get out of control. Right? Yeah, like, not yeah. A, uh, oh, I better rethink this. Yeah. More like, oh, I'll gudge and I'll do. He was very sort of blinkers on, narrow-minded. Yeah. Um, very, like, obsessed. Only saw the positives of his introductions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he wow. saw it as there were conspiracies. Any, anyone against him was working for the salmon industry and that sort of stuff. Right. Big, big salmon. salmon. Very yeah. paranoid yeah. person. Yeah. Okay. He was a tiddler. Yep. <laughs> With a big story. Yeah, cool. So, um, oh, I, sh- I didn't say who suggested it. Phil, while I find his name. Do not take that camera off me. Okay, now you can take the camera off. Wait, don't stop. 
Don't stop the music. <laughs> no, it's going to be stuck in everyone's heads for the rest of the... I think that's happened already. Their lives. Give us something that will get it out of our heads again. Um, um, hey, mambo, <laughs> mambo <laughs> italiano. Hey, oh, mambo. no, that's, bad. that's worse. That's worse. That's like a gudgeon. You know what will never get stuck in your head? Australia's all in <laughs> Who's ever had the national anthem stuck in their head? No, never. Never. Uh, okay, it was suggested Seamless by Clara there. in Edinburgh. That's, and okay. <laughs> end of list. <laughs> uh, Clara titled it Stuart Smith, Liberator of 15,000 Fish. That got your attention, That right? got my attention. Yeah. I was just searching for New Zealand, to be honest, but that did get my attention. Liberator. Liberator I'm listening. I do love the idea of them calling him the, like the great liberator when really he's got fish, put them in a really small tank and then release them yeah. being like, and also saying to the fish, you're welcome. I've liberated them from the from the small, small tank, tank I put them in. Yeah. After so, breeding them from eggs yeah, that I had in my right. pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. I'm sweating. He's walking through. With fish eggs. Anything fish to eggs. declare, sir? I'm just picturing him loose. Yeah. Loose in his pocket, getting a little bit of lint on him. Yeah, that could be good. Oh, sitting next to him for 15 hours on a flight. What are you imagining it smells like? Oh, Fishy? It smells or fishy eggy? but also eggy, oh, yeah. Oh, those are the two worst smells. The two worst smells, yeah. No, thank Damn. you. Damn. But it sounds like he got away with it. Yeah, yeah well, he lived a long life and he didn't, yeah, didn't really get particularly punished. Oh, yeah. That was a great story. I yeah. knew absolutely nothing about that. <clears throat> yeah, I like when you hear a, hear a tale and you've never heard anything about it yeah, before. Yeah, and you don't know where it's going to go. It's so, cl- it's so close. So close. You think that'd be yeah. quite famous? Yeah, I really would have thought cause he'd be like an infamous guy. People would be like, oh, don't be a bloody Stuart Smith. Yeah, because that's such a rare thing, right? I've never heard of eco-terrorism on that scale. Yeah, no. Fish Deca- terrorism. Decades is funny. of solo activity. Do you reckon it's just like Kiwis being so too polite to really clamp down? You know, they're like, honestly, mate, can you please stop? They are so friendly. They're so friendly. Insanely nice. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. I was that saving has been, them for my wedding. That has been stressing. <laughs> that has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can uh, affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp. 
com slash D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. Now it's time for everyone's favorite section of the show, the fact, quote, or question section. It's got a little jingle that goes something like this, fact, quote, or question, ding. He always remembers the ding. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm doing this by myself this week. The other two, turns out, aren't as dedicated to this show as I am. That's not really true. Uh, it's just Christmas holidays. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so um, the way this works is uh, if you get involved at patreon.com slash do go on pod on the Sydney Scheinberg Lux Memorial Package Edition, rest peace, then you can get involved by giving us a fact, a quote, or a question. You also get to give yourself a title, and then we go through a few of these at the end of each episode. This week, uh, the first one comes from Austin Horst and Austin's given themselves the nickname or the title of the general truck driver, which was actually given to him by Jess uh, on episode 263. There you go. Uh, And Austin asks a question. 2020 has definitely not been the year I was expecting, but you guys have definitely been one of the highlights. The live streams have been real fun. I've luckily not been too affected by COVID, but one of the things that I've missed most this year is live shows. My question is, what is each of your favorite live show, concert, comedy, etc., that you've attended? Um, sorry, Austin, that I'm the only one who's answering this. I think maybe my favorite ever show was possibly earlier this year in 2020 before COVID really hit, I think, uh, was cold chisel out in Geelong and they were supported by Paul Kelly and it was amazing it was one of the yeah I reckon the best rock show I've ever been to the other one I think of is uh when I saw Tism do a secret show to warm up for one of their last tours I saw them at the tote it's probably like 15 years ago and uh it was amazing as well so um, they're the two that come to mind. Sorry that the others aren't here to answer that. I reckon Jess would say a Paul Kelly show probably. And Dave would say the Smiths if he ever saw him, which he wouldn't have. Maybe saw Morrissey. I don't know. I'd love to know that about them as well. Sorry that they're not here to answer it. But Austin does let us know uh, his favorite was seeing Foo Fighters at Firefly uh, Music Festival in 2014. Their set was amazing, and when they came out for their encore, Dave announced that for the next five songs, they weren't the Foo Fighters. He said that they were now a bar cover band called The Holy Shits. A big banner dropped behind the band, and they proceeded to play a killer set of Alice Cooper's School's Out, Van Halen's Ain't Talking About Love, The Rolling Stones' Miss You, and Queen's Under Pressure. Then they closed the show with Everlong. Cheers, guys. Hope... Uh, he's hoping 2021 goes a bit better than 2020. Cheers to you, Austin. Thanks for your support. Thanks for that question. Um, if you ask again, feel free to ask that of Dave and Jess specifically. Jeez, I'm lying in bed. So if I, any of my pronunciations seem lazy, that's why. Uh, this next one comes from Drew Forsberg. He's also asking a question, but let's see what title he's given himself first. Uh, Rice president. (laughs) Uh, 
it's so silly. Uh, cheers, Drew. And uh, Drew's question is, I happen to have a keen interest in learning facts about 1966 in North Carolina, especially regarding athletic history. Is there a podcast you can re- recommend for me to hopefully broaden my knowledge on these subjects? Oh, Drew, you have, uh, you've, you've got lucky here that I'm the one left because I know some really good facts about these and I don't know that Dave and Jess do. 1966 is actually the year that the St. Kilda Football Club won their one and only VFL slash AFL premiership. Uh, so far, I should say, there's a little asterisk there. Um, any year now, the second cup will be coming, and that obviously excludes the Wizard Cup and other preseason and night grand final premierships that we've won, you know. Uh, 1966, also the year that uh, English football brought it home, uh, the World Cup, that is, and... I think there was another fact I read about recently. I think the Chicago Bulls maybe were. Um, maybe that was the year they were founded. Let me Google this. Uh, Chicago Bulls. Yeah, 1966. Hey, and that links nicely into my next fact, which is about North Carolina. Um did you know this? Apparently, their fire engines or something are blue and the other ones are red. Also, uh, Michael Jordan played there and he wore his North Carolina University shorts under his Chicago Bulls shorts, meaning they had to get bigger shorts uh, for Chicago Bulls. And then all the other players started copying and they all got big baggy shorts. That has come full circle now and they're wearing short shorts again. Fashion, huh? amazing but uh yeah thanks drew thanks for taking uh, me on a walk down memory lane there um (laughs) appreciate that very much this one comes from julian barnes julian is the second chair triangle player for the do go on in studio orchestra uh just in case they forget the ding which we never do but it is handy to have you there as backup thank you so much julian barnes julian also has a question and uh, his question is, welcome to Dugo Oven, the Dugo on cooking special episode. We join Matt, Jess and Dave, each cooking their own signature dish for our live studio audience. What are you making for us today, guys? Okay. Well, I know uh, Dave would be making some sort of bean related thing. Uh, probably a bean pie, combining his two loves. Baked beans in a pie. Can it be done? Dave's going to find out. Uh, he's not the man to find out. He will almost definitely set the kitchen on fire. Jess, whoa, what would Jess be cooking? She can cook. I know she has, uh, uh, she likes to cook Mexican sometimes. So I'm going to say she's cooking uh, some sort of burrito uh, with margaritas. And I'll be cooking. What do I want to cook? Um, I'm going to cook uh, one of those... Uh, cakes uh, that says multiple layers and they're red, white, and black. Colors of the saints. So you got red and that is going to be hot chili cake. Then you got white, sort of like a vanilla cake and then black. What's a black food? Um, I guess like a, like coffee, really heavily roasted coffee or maybe even stout, stout beer, Flavoured cake. Huh? 
That's a showstopper right there and then. Thanks for that question, Julian. And finally, we've got Tessa Chilcott, who is, of course, the president of Useful Solutions to Problems Requiring Creative Thinking. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really handy person to have around. And Tessa has given us a quote, and her quote is uh, the most commonly used quote of 2020. You're on mute. Or, ah, you're frozen, aren't you? Bless Zoom. Thank you, Tessa. Um, hopefully those quotes don't need to be used too much from next year. Uh, the other thing we like to do is shout out to a few other of our Patreon supporters. Jess normally comes up with a game and uh, as she isn't here, I thought probably the game she might have come up with would have been where we would um, take an animal from our Patreon supporters hometown or at least home country and um, introduce them in large numbers to the New Zealand waterways. Okay. So first up, I'd love to thank from Swansea in Great Britain. It's Sari John Jones. Sari John Jones. Uh, sorry for the wait, Sari John. He's been a patron for a long time. And uh, <laughs> due to my stupid uh, system here, it slipped through. Uh, I don't want to blame Patreon for their uh, for their um, spreadsheet uh, being a bit out of whack. But look, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame them for it because it is their fault. Okay, so Swansea is in Wales, and I'm looking at Welsh uh, Welsh wildlife, and apparently they got dolphins there. So we're gonna introduce dolphins from Wales into the uh, waterways of New Zealand. Huh? You reckon the trouts are doing well? Well, I reckon these dolphins are going to dominate. Absolutely eat up all that gudgeon. <laughs> Gudgeon's a fun word. Thank you so much, Sari John Jones. I'll only do a few. We normally do nine of these at the end of an episode, but because I'm doing it uh, solo, I might uh, maybe just do them. Um, just do three. How does that sound? Does that make sense? Uh all right, so I think dolphins would do great. Uh, it's about time New Zealand had some dolphins in their lakes. They've probably got them around the oceans, but any in the lakes? I don't know. I don't think so. The next one, uh, next patron I'd love to thank is from Nuego in MI, which I reckon is Mississippi, Michigan. I'll find that out in a second, but it is Scott Lanning. Thank you so much for your support, Scott Lanning. We appreciate that very much. Uh, I'm looking up Nuego MI is in Michigan. Nuego, Michigan. All right. I wonder if Michigan's got any sort of animals. It's got notable people, including Roy Bargy, composer and pianist, and uh, Jack Nitsche, musician and arranger. Hey, a couple of notable people there. All right, I'm going to look up Michigan, Michigan fauna. Let's see what they've got here. List of fauna in Michigan. A Wikipedia page. Fantastic. All right. Crustaceans, Dipteria, Hemiptera. I don't know what any. They've, they've listed it all in bloody Latin. Mollusks. 
Uh, all right. Well, here we go. Blue Dasher. Let's see what this is. All right. So Blue Dasher, it is the only species of the genus Pachydiplax. It is very common and widely distributed through North America and into the Bahamas, but in particular in Michigan. And they're dragonflies. Great. And they, blue dashes live near still calm bodies of water, such as ponds, marshes, slow moving waterways and ditches. Oh, these are going to take off. These are absolutely going to ruin New Zealand. The blue dasher with a fantastic name. Uh, and yeah, Scott Lanning is going to dedicate his life to making that happen. He's going to be dropping them off by the bag load. He's going to be taking blue dasher eggs in the pockets of his pants uh, and breeding them out the back of his petrol station. Good work, Scott. You're really going to absolutely destroy some stuff. Well done. Um, and finally, let's see. Who's my final shout-out going to be today? Uh, scrolling down. Final one for today is Connor Simmer from Atascadero in California in the United States. All right, let's see. Californian. Is this fun? Hearing someone Google in real time? Californian fauna. Californian fauna is fun to say. Fauna of California. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so finally, we are going to be dropping off, or not we, sorry, of course. Uh, this will not be we. This will be Connor Simmer. We'll be dropping off black bears into the waterways of New Zealand. Black bears. Oh, now the dolphins are in trouble. I don't know how well these dragonflies are going to do. Black bears... Yeah, they're going to they're gonna change things up a bit. I've seen them swim. Um, but what Connor's going to do is he's going to introduce them as an aquatic bear. First aquatic bear in New Zealand. I think they haven't had an aquatic bear before, but, well, they do now. Uh, so good work there, Connor. And, uh, yeah, New Zealand, you've got some really exciting things to look forward to with dolphins, uh, blue dashes, and black bears coming right up maybe black bear could be the the cake uh the black strip of the cake that i have in my st kilda layer cake anyway um oh and finally what we like to do is oh, it's bringing people into the triptych club but maybe i should save this for when dave and jess are around i wish you could answer me some of you are saying yes please just save it for then and others say no matt we want to hear it now let us in um I know who it is. I may as well do it because they, they've it's three years today since they signed up. So the way you get involved in the Triptych Club is if you're signed up for three years plus on the shout out level or above, you get inducted into the Triptych Club. And the way this works is I'm going to have to play all these parts. Normally Dave hypes you up and then Jess hypes up Dave and uh, I'm at the door. I'm lifting the velvet rope, letting you into the club. I've got the door list, right? And Jess comes up with a cocktail and an hors d'oeuvre, and Dave normally books a band. Dave, who've uh, this week, uh, we've booked Fish, which makes sense. The band Fish uh, are playing live in the Triptych Club. Uh, Jess, 
who uh what kind of hors d'oeuvres have you got what kind of cocktails uh shrimp cocktail okay that makes sense i don't know what that is but that makes sense i also don't know really who the band fish are but that feels right and uh fish cocktail which feels like a food thing and a cocktail in one so that's done so nothing left to do now but to bring in this week's inductee which is from victoria australia in sea lake it's braun hey braun more like uh yeah braun is uh have a have a nice time in here braun <laughs> Woo! yes <laughs> Good work. I'm absolutely losing my mind. All right. So that, hey, Brian, hopefully that's all you ever dreamed of uh, with your triptych induction. Uh, but that is all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for listening in, everybody. We'll be back next week with a great report from Jess Perkins. Uh, until then, we're on our social media and all that sort of stuff. Do go on pod. Do go on pod.com is our website. Patreon is do go on pod dot com slash do go on pod wait hang on <laughs> patreon.com slash do go on pod and uh yeah hey get in touch hope you have a great uh christmas and end of year it's uh sad to see the end of 2020 it was a fantastic year as i predicted early on in an early episode um i stand by that anyhow uh until next week we'll see you all laters goodbye <laughs> laters podcast is part of the planet broadcasting network visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates i mean if you want it's up to you hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.